Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. God, some praise in this place. We worship you, Lord. How many know we need God to run this race well? You know, the Bible talks about this faith journey being a race. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. And I believe that many of us are running this race of faith at a pace that is not sustainable. And we were just running this life and we got caught up in what this culture says our lives should look like. But I think today we need to go to the scriptures to run this race well. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? Where are my runners at? You run for fun, y'all are crazy. But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. Man, I don't know about you, I wanna run with purpose. I don't wanna run this, the, the race of this life aimlessly. No, I, I wanna run with purpose. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So today, church, I want to talk to you about the pace of my race and that we would run this race to completion because the Bible says, it talks about this reality. We have to run this race well. How many know this life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Amen. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor as you're seated today. I want you to tell them, we about to learn about pace. Tell them, we about to figure out that pace of our race. Come on, 12 p.m., turn up. Give it up for the worship team today leading us. Man, I'm so grateful for them, for those that they get here early and uh, lead us so well, so I'm just grateful. But today, I am continuing this verified series. We've been looking at this idea of fan versus follower. And I, I can illustrate this no better than thinking about the playoffs right now. Some of you have been watching the hockey playoffs. We got NHL fans in the house. Or the NBA playoffs. NBA, actually, the game started seven minutes ago. Um, and I don't pay attention, though, guys. Someone told me. Um, but it's funny that in... in you know, sports, professional sports, we got a lot of fans. And how many know fans are critics always? Like we sit on the sideline and from our couch and we say, oh, he should have done that or he should have done this or that coach should do this or they should have made that shot and we criticize. But we're just fans on the sideline. We're not in the game. But I believe as Christians, there's a lot of people who have become just fans of Jesus. They just criticize the church criticize the Christians who are really doing the work of the faith. And God didn't call you to be critics. He didn't call you to be fans. He called you to be followers of Jesus. It says that we're supposed to make disciples and disciples by definition is a follower. And so I believe in this series, God's been challenging us in what it means to be a true follower, a verified follower of Jesus in a culture of fans. There's a lot of people, fans of Jesus, fans of his teaching, but are we true followers? Are we following what our Savior taught us. 
what the Bible teaches us. And so today I want to talk to you about the pace of my race. And I also want to really talk to you about Sabbath. Now, this is not something that we teach in, in the church a whole lot anymore, but it's something that is often overlooked, a command. You see, we live in a hurried, busy, workaholic, go, 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 materialistic driven world and culture. And unfortunately, we Christians have got pulled into it where we are going, 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 working, working, working. We, we pride ourselves on being workaholics. And all too often just get things that don't really matter, things that won't last. Like it talked about in 1 Corinthians there, it said they run this race, they train their bodies. Why? To get a perishable wreath. But we run this race of faith and we get something that is imperishable, something that lasts forever. And so I want to talk to you about Sabbath, about rest, because I think it's so important as Christians that we implement this into our lives. You see, Sabbath is not just a good idea. It is one of the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath is not an option. It's a command. And so today, I know you're like, oh, that's Old Covenant. Like, we're in the New Covenant. Like, yes. But the New Testament actually affirms the practice of Sabbath. Watch this, Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We got any people of God in this house? There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You see, God, we know, rested on the seventh day. He created all things. On the seventh day, he rested. He rested. We so are to rest. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. I want to illustrate with this with the original Old Testament as well. Command, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates the, or your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You know, of all the commandments, the 10, this one of Sabbath has the longest description. The longest breakdown that God gave to Moses to give to the Israelites, which I still believe is important for us today, that we would practice the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath. Let it be a part of our regular rhythms of life. Dan Allender in the book Sabbath, which I would encourage you all to get and read, said this. The Sabbath is a day of delight for humankind. It is not merely a pious day and not fundamentally a break, a day off, or a 24-hour vacation. The Sabbath is a feast day that remembers our leisure in Eden and anticipates our play in the new heavens and earth with family, friends, and strangers for the sake of the glory of God. I love this description because I think we have taken this breakdown or this word, this command of Sabbath, and we've turned it into something that is legalistic or ritualistic, or we just don't practice it at all. We actually think, well, if I go to church, then I Sabbathed. 
But there's more to it than just going to church while Sabbath is a part, or church is a part of Sabbathing. Sabbath is spiritual warfare, if I can get real with you. If I can get serious with you. And I believe rest is a form of spiritual warfare. And some of you are like, Caleb, it ain't that serious. Chill, my boy. <laughs> Listen to me. It is really hard to wreck the life of people who are well-rested, present in the moment, and spiritually connected to God. And how many know the enemy is a lion and he is trying to steal, kill, and destroy you? He is prowling around like a lion, looking for those whom he may devour. So when I say rest and Sabbath is spiritual warfare, I am dead serious. Because here's what happens. When you're overworked, overstressed, full of anxiety, depleted, energy deficient, empty, your walls are broken down and you are susceptible to any attack or temptation that comes your way. Because you're just needing an escape. But when you are well rested, when you have made Sabbath a part of your life, you've made it a part of your rhythms, when you are connected to the creator, when your energy is full and, and your spirit is alive, let me tell you, when the temptations come and the lion comes knocking on your door, you just laugh at it. And you say, that temptation has no power over me. So when I say rest and Sabbath is spiritual warfare, I am dead serious, church. Because I've seen this play out in my own life. When I am depleted, energy deficient, stressed, overworked, that's when I found myself more susceptible. But when I've rested, when I've protected my heart and my life, when I'm connected to my Savior, when, when, I'm energy, when my energy is high and the temptations come, they have no impact, no effect. They bounce off my strong, fortified walls of my life. And so I was led and we were led as a church and a team as we planned this series out to come to this week, week number four of this series, and to challenge us in what resting and Sabbathing looks like. Because I'm here to tell you, church, you need it. I need it. We need it. And God will use it to protect us for the future and the purpose that God has for our lives. How many know there will be a cultural pushback if you do this? Like if you implement rest and Sabbath into your life, there will be cultural pushback on you because it doesn't make sense. Like, what do you mean? You got to grind. What do you mean? You got to build your business. You got to build your second business and your third and your, your side hustle. And you, you got to build your wealth and all these kinds of things. There will also be a spiritual pushback because the enemy doesn't want you rested, refueled, strong, fortified. He doesn't want your marriage healthy, your, your, your family healthy. And so I would tell you right now, be ready for the pushback if you go away from this and begin to implement the Sabbath and rest into your life that God is calling you to do. Here's what I see from Christians today. Christians today are overstressed, too busy to pray, too busy to read their Bibles, too busy to go to church consistently, too busy to spend time in worship in their home, too busy to be with their own family. And then they wonder, 
why they feel the way they feel. They wonder why they don't hear God's voice. They wonder why they're not walking fully in the purpose that God has for their life. When you allow God to set the pace, then he is able to fulfill the promise. I want you to receive this today, church. Because here's what I think. I think a lot of us have dictated and determined the pace of our race. And today, I wanted to challenge us that we would say no more. Today, I am deciding to allow God to set the pace of my life so that then he can fulfill the promises of my life. And you're like, what promises? Promise of life to the fullest? Promise of life eternal? Promises that he gave you when you were young or a few years back that haven't come to pass yet, but maybe they haven't come to pass because you have not relinquished control of your pace to him? And he's saying, just trust me. Trust me with your pace. So I brought something today because I thought we'd have some fun. It's okay to have fun in church, right? Um, and, and I wanted to illustrate for you this idea of pace because I think that we all have to determine the pace of the race with God that he wants us to run. And, you know, so often God goes, I want you to go slow. But, you know, I don't like going slow. Like, this isn't fun. You know, when I go on a treadmill, I get in the gym and I'm not, you know, usually in running shape. But every time I get on the, in the gym and I go, I'm going to run today, I just ratchet up to six minute mile every time. Because that's what I used to do when I was young. But I'm not ready for that. Nor should I be running at that pace because I haven't done it in years. But I like to go fast. I'm like Ricky Bobby, you know what I'm saying? want to go fast. If you're not first, you're last. Y'all feeling me? But here's what we do. I, I just want to illustrate, like, this is what life looks like for us. Like, to be real, um, we, we wake up Monday morning. Monday morning hits. Alarm goes off. 6.30 a.m. What happens? First thing I do, jump out, jump out the bed. Chrissy, we got to wake up the kids. Run upstairs. Kids, get out of bed. You got to get ready. We got school. Hurry up. Okay, dad, brush your teeth. Get down here. Eat breakfast. Okay, dad, we're coming. Okay, forget it. Eggo waffles in the car. You're already running late. Let me sign the, let me sign your homework real quick. All right, get in the car. Go, go, go. And then we get on the highway and there's traffic. I'm like, get up out the way. Y'all are trash drivers, but I love you in Jesus name. And I keep going. I get off the exit, pull up to the school real quick. Love you kids. See you later. Have a great day. Boom, book it to church. We got meetings, meetings all morning, meetings at lunch meetings, afternoon, get work done, get work done, get ready for what's coming up. Three o'clock hits, Chrissy, gotta go get the kids. Either you go or I go, okay, and I'll go get the uniforms because they need a change on the way. So they get in the car. Hey kids, great to see you, changing your uniforms. We got a game in 30 minutes. Book it, uh, book it, book it to the game. Have the game, game ends, get home. Kids, eat food, quick, shovel it down. Okay, showers, yes, now homework. Hurry up, finish your homework. Okay, get in bed. And then the kids are like, dad, will you pray with us? Sure, God is good all the time, amen, go to sleep. Go to sleep. Now, it's 10 p.m. I, I, I see Chrissy for the first time. I get to talk to her. I go, hey, babe, what do you think? Can we make it happen tonight? <laughs> she looks at me. Sure. Be quick. Bet. 
asleep. Next morning, same thing. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, same thing. We're going, we're going, we're going. Saturday hits. Oh, finally a day rest. Nope. Games, parties, hang out with these people. Go here. Sunday comes. Hurry up. Get to church. Oh, finally a day of rest. Nope. Actually, babe, I planned 27 things this afternoon that we got to do. So we need to do this. Monday morning hits. Same thing again. And this is our lives. And finally, after being at this pace for so long, we bail. Now I know this is funny and borderline inappropriate, I'm sorry. (laughs) But this is the reality. We have not allowed God to set the pace for our lives. We've determined and we dictate the pace. And usually the pace is frantic. And we've experienced that and we're still fighting against it at times. You know, one of the things I loved about COVID was that COVID actually reset everything. Like COVID, for the first time in our, man, since having little kids, it made us stop. Like everything stopped. And we just went on walks every day. And we had dinner together every night. We saved so much money not going out to eat. It was awesome. And, and we just enjoyed games around the dinner table. We played board games for the first time, like since we had little kids. And we just really delighted in our family and one another. And then guess what happened? Things opened back up. And we went right back to how things were before. And I'm looking at Christians and I see how overstressed, overworked, how our pace is unsustainable. And I worry. I worry about our marriage. I worry about our family. I worry about the families and the marriages I see out there because I see the walls breaking down little by little simply because of the pace that we've chosen for ourselves. And let's be real, we've chosen it. And we go, oh man, I'm, I'll talk to people all the time. I'm so tired, so overworked. I'm like, oh really? Like, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, that sounds like your fault. <laughs> Those are your choices. You've chosen that. You feel the weight of it, and yet you don't make a change. And so for Christy and I, we've just determined our family, like, we have to say no to some things. Because if we said yes to everything, it would lead to unhealth. Because every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And unfortunately, we're saying yes to all these external things and we're saying no to connection with our spouse, no to connection with our kids and our family, and no to connection with God. Because we're too busy to pray. We're too busy to read our Bibles. We're too busy to even attend church consistently. We're too busy to have dinner around, around the table and actually talk about how our days went. And then we wonder why we feel the way we feel. It's time to let God set the pace. And so I love that the Bible gives us some great instructions for how to live and pace our lives. So I want to share just four grids to pace your race well. The first part of the grid is this. You need to stop. Everybody say stop. Stop. Drop. Drop. Shut them. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) You got to stop. 
You got to know when to stop. You have to determine a day and a time to stop. That's what Sabbath looks like. In ancient practices, they would establish some kind of ritual. The Hebrews had some kind of ritual in which to begin their Sabbath. Often it was lighting a candle. And so they would stop. And and, and in Hebrew culture, Sabbath started Friday night at sundown and went to Saturday night at sundown. So that was their Sabbath. That's why Seventh-day Adventists still have church on Saturdays because they're really committed. Letter of the law, uh, which again, spirit of the law. Paul talks about it. Doesn't matter what day you worship on. But they had a ritual of starting and stopping their Sabbath. And I would encourage you that you would pick the day and pick the time that you're going to start and stop and do some kind of practical ritual to begin it. Maybe it's lighting a candle. Maybe it's baking a giant cookie and putting ice cream all over it with your kids and going, this is the start of the Sabbath. I'm for it. But we have to stop. Sabbath is not, and here's what Dan Allender said, Sabbath is not a break from work. It is a redefining of how we work, why we work, and how we create freedom through our work. So again, sometimes we think, okay, so it's just like, Sabbath, I'm not working that day. No, no, no. It's redefining the perspective on work. That work actually creates um, the ability for us to have freedom in other times and places and periods in our life. And I want to see my, my work as worship. That's what Romans 12 tells me. It says to let your life be a spiritual act of worship. Whether you eat or play or drink or work or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I want every part of my life to be worshiped to my God. And when I start to see with that perspective, then I'm able to use what God has given me in a way that still connects me with him. And yet he tells us to stop working. God did it. He commanded us to do it. And yet so many of us, we don't know how to stop. We don't know how to turn it off. We don't know how to stop talking about. We don't know how to stop checking our email. We don't know how to stop checking Slack. We don't know how to stop checking uh, all the things, the text messages and the calls. And we're, we're, we're constantly connected. And I would just tell you, you have to know when to stop friend of mine. He starts his Sabbath on, on Friday nights and goes to Saturday nights and he turns his phone off completely for 24 hours. I haven't been able to do that yet. Pray for me. But it's a practice that I like to implement to where I am disconnected. I'm able to truly rest, which is the next grid to pace your race. Well, you got to know when to stop, how to stop, and then you got to know how and when to rest. A study in 2012 of Americans, a few thousand Americans were surveyed, found this. Over half are overwhelmed by the amount of work they have. One in three say they are chronically overworked. 37% take fewer than seven days off per year. 14% take vacations of two weeks or longer. Americans take the shortest paid vacation days in the world. Think about that. 40% of Americans say lack of time was a bigger problem than lack of money. This is the culture that you live in, the culture that you are being 
taught by, inundated with, and it's often to just get things that won't last. We need to know when to rest from work. Why do some of us work so much? Can I be honest? Because we really talk about the why of, of Sabbathing or the why of why we won't Sabbath. It's because we trust ourselves more than we trust God. We're reliant on ourselves. Like if I work enough, I'll get enough. I'll provide enough for myself. I'll have enough. I'll achieve enough. I'll have all the things that I want and I need. But what Sabbath does is it makes you stop and go, you know what? I trust God so much that I can take a day to not work and actually connect with him. So Sabbath actually te teaches us about reliance, that we would not rely on ourselves, our own abilities, our own strength, our own work ethic, our own grinding, but we begin to rely on the God who provides it all in the first place. He's the only reason you have breath. He's the only reason you have that talent. He's the only reason you have that job, that energy. He's the only reason you've accomplished anything in this life. And yet we're, we're relying on ourselves. We have to know when to rest from work, from stress, from devices. Some of you need a digital detox in your life. I wonder if we're more connected to these things. Where is it? There it is. We're more connected to this than we are to this, our spouse, our family. We're definitely more connected to this than we are to this. And the idea of turning this thing off terrifies you. And I would just tell you, how can you be properly connected here if you're always connected here? And in reality, this isn't even real connection. We call it connection. We say we're connected. We talk about connectivity. But there's very little actual connection happening. And most of us, if we were honest, would have to say, I'm pretty disconnected to my God. I'm pretty disconnected from my Savior. I don't really hear his voice. I don't really talk to him much. I don't really pray to him much. I don't really read his words much. What is Sabbath is how we create space to hear the Father speak. You hear me? That's why I think this is so important, you guys being here. Because every time you come here, how many of you know, God speaks something to you. What's awesome is people will come to me in the lobby and be like, oh, Pastor Kid, thank you for that word. That was so encouraging. challenged me so much. Actually, man, God said this to me. I'm like, that's awesome, but I never said that. <laughs> Had nothing to do with what I was preaching on or teaching on, but God spoke something to them because he triggered through something I was saying. Or the word of God was saying, or someone in worship spoke out, or a song we were singing, and then God released something. Why? Because you're open and you're available. You're connected in this moment to hear the voice of God. But I'm telling you, one hour and 15 minutes is not enough of you hearing the voice of God. It's not enough of you being connected to the voice of the Father. So what if Sabbath was how we create more space to hear the Father speak? And so we've actually implemented something into our lives, not just Sabbath weekly, but Sabbath daily. Some of you are going, oh, oh boy, here we go. Here's what I mean. In the evenings, my wife has set on her phone, 
where the phone shuts off from 5 to 8 p.m. Why? So we can be completely committed and attentive and connected to our family. So at dinner, there's no devices. While we're hanging out in the evening, doing homework and, and, and talking, there's no devices. Why? So that we can begin to implement little aspects of Sabbath into every day. And I'm telling you, there's something powerful about just connecting with your family around the dinner table. Studies show that children who have regular dinners with their family, how much more successful they are, how much more uh, uh, achieving they are, how much more secure they feel. And I wonder if we begin to implement regular rest even into our days if we would hear from others, be more connected to each other, but also create space to hear the Father speak. The third part of the grid to pace your race well is to delight. Everybody say delight. Man, I love this idea of delight. Psychologists would call it pleasure stacking. But this is actually biblical. I read it earlier. This idea of delighting in the Lord and delighting in his works, delighting in his presence. And I think that there is power in play. You know what I'm saying? Like so often we, we want to be mature. And last night my kids were asking me like, dad, what does mature mean? What does immature mean? I was trying to describe it. And I think we, we, we're all about adulting. We're really good at being mature and adults. But the Bible actually says that we're just children of God. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we're children. And children know how to play. Children delight in playing, in play. And so I'm here to encourage you that you would begin to delight in the things that God has given you. That you would begin to delight in the things that give you life that give you pleasure, as long as it's in line with God's word, that you delight in that which gives you what you are missing or lacking. Man, is it a hobby? Is it being in relationship with someone? Is it being out in nature? Is it going on a hike? Is it playing golf? Yes, Lord. What is it? Delight in it. Why? Because God has given it to us. Every good and perfect thing comes from above. It comes from the Lord. And there's a lot of good things that as long as they don't become God things in our lives will bring delight into your life and restore to you that which is lacking. Bring joy back into your heart. Joy back into your life. Joy back into your spirit that you would delight. You see, the core of delight is our capacity to worship. And I want that to soak in for a moment because I think that we don't recognize what I said earlier, which is that everything is worship to God, that we can turn everything into worship to God, that we are meant to make everything we do worship to God, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And, and so when we delight in the good things, the small things, the, the things that maybe you, some would say like don't matter and are meaningless and pointless, when we delight in the little things, in, in the connection moments, in the hobbies that we love, we begin to see those things as worship. 
And when we turn everything into worship, it brings joy and delight into the small things and the little things of life. It talks about even delighting in creation. Psalm 96, verse 11. They're going to throw it on the screen for me. It says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. What is it saying? You're saying, man, delight in the creation that God has given us. That's why Christy and I, we, we love going out and playing golf. Why? Because I, I love nature. I get to be out in nature. Do you know what I love even more than nature? Manicured nature. Come on, golf courses. Manicured nature. It's amazing. I'm going to delight in that. I'm a delight in what God has put around me. So church, delight in the small things. I, I got to be honest with you because I think that so many of us, we prayed prayers for years and God answered them. And now we complain about the very things that we used to pray for. I used to pray for a wife and now at times I complain about her. I used to pray for a growing church, and now at times, I'm annoyed by it. I used to pray for more staff, and now at times, I complain about the staff that I have to manage. I used to pray for children, and now sometimes I complain about them when they're getting on my nerves. Love you guys. But sometimes, you know, they're kids. But what if we just stopped and said, God, may I delight? And give thanks for the little things, the small things, and even the big things that I used to pray for that now I take for granted. Church, can we begin to delight again? I think we've lost the delight because we've lost the perspective that we are just children of God's. And finally, if the keys would come back, the last grid to pace your race well is... We have to worship. We have to worship. Sabbath is a day where we are meant to, to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's worship. Make it a day to center your soul in gratitude toward God in love. I'm centering myself. I'm centering my soul in gratitude toward God. That is worship. Sabbath isn't just going to church, although this is part of it. It's being a part of the body that finds a deeper connection with the head that is Christ. It's practicing the presence of God, not just when you're in church, but when you're driving. It's practicing the presence of God, not just when you're driving, but when you're at home. It's practicing the presence of God wherever you go. What does that mean? It means that everywhere I go is holy. Because everywhere I am, God is. Every job I walk into, every conversation I have, every interaction at the grocery store, every time I walk down the street by myself or I'm walking hand in hand with my wife. When I'm at that Little League game or when I'm driving down the road that every moment I begin to see as holy and every opportunity is an opportunity to worship God and give thanks to Him. Why? Because He's put me in places with a purpose. 
And I think if, if we were honest, we would have to admit in this place that our pace has not been sustainable. Or maybe it's sustainable, but barely. And if we were honest, we'd have to say, you know what? I need to slow my pace, or I need to at least implement into my pace a day of rest and connection with God. And what I found is now that I begin to do that with my wife, that the other days have become more holy. The other days I'm more aware of the presence of God because I'm practicing the presence one day and then it carries over to the next day and the next day. I don't want you to just experience a Christian life where you only experience the presence of God on Sunday mornings from 12 to 1.15. I want you to be followers that everywhere you go, every environment, every room, every connection, every opportunity, every conversation, that you feel and sense the presence of God with you. That's what I believe is the power of rest and Sabbath. Because you're so connected that day, it carries over to the next day, and then you implement Sabbath into every day. And before you know it, there's this deeper connection with the Creator God that you carry His presence with you everywhere you go. That's the life that a verified follower of Jesus is meant to live. But it starts today, because I know you want that, because I know I want more of that. And little by little, God's given me more of it. But it took me recognizing, and really my wife helping me recognize, that it was my pace that would determine the amount of grace of the presence of God that was on me. And my pace was off. I was trying to run when God was telling me to walk. I was trying to keep going when God was telling me to stop. I was trying to make it happen because I was relying on me. And there's something powerful about being fully reliant on God, trusting Him so much. Not that you don't work hard. Don't get me wrong, church. This is not a message for you to be lazy. No. The Word of God calls us to work, but it's a message to remind us that in our hard work, there is moments and Sabbath days of rest meant to connect us to God. So when we work, we are more like Him. When you allow God to set the pace, then He is able to fulfill the promise. So where do we go from here, church? Can I tell you this? Dallas Willard said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Here's what I would tell you. Make a plan. Be fluid. Find your rhythm. Start small and work up to more. You may not be able to tomorrow go, all right, this week, 24-hour Sabbath. No work all rest. We're going to go to church, go home, rest. Boom. We got it. Getting off our phones. You may not be able to do it, but you can start with four hours. You can start with six hours. Maybe you start with eight hours. You make a plan. If you're a single person, make a plan. It's the hardest as single people because you guys just want to hang out. I'm trying to get a wife. I'm trying to get a husband. Come on. We got to make it happen. No, no, no. Don't be relying on you. Be relying on him. He's got that person for you. 
Trust that you can take a day of rest and not having to hang out with people nonstop 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Marry people, sit down with your spouse, make a plan. Make a plan. This isn't just for you, this is for your children. This is for the next generation. I believe there's something powerful about having the right pace because I want to finish this race, church. I want to finish it well. I read a statistic, 30% of pastors finish that started in ministry. That means 70% are done. I've been doing this for 19 years. Since I was 21 years old, I've been working full-time ministry in church. And let me tell you, there's been times my pace has been off, but I've, with God's help, with my wife's help, with my family's help, my pace has become more like what I believe God wanted it to be. And that's why I'm still here standing. That's why I haven't succumbed to temptation. That's why I haven't burned out. I'm still going. Why? Because we've had to implement the right pace in the same way God wants you to run this race to completion. He wants you to obtain the prize, not an imperishable, or not a perishable one, but an imperishable prize that you will have when you run this race at the pace He intended you for. Would you bow your heads with me across this room? Before I pray over you, because I want to pray a prayer of pace over this church. The right pace, the right rest, the right Sabbath. There may be someone in here that doesn't know God. Maybe you've been running from God. You turned your back on God. You tried to run this race in your strength and your ability. And today you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, you haven't given your life to Jesus, or maybe you did at one time, but you've been running from him. You turned your back on him. I want you to lift your hand right now. One, two, three, go. God spoke to you today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see those hands. You can put them down. Pray this with me, church. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner, but I know I'm saved by grace, through faith. So today, I surrender to you. I surrender my life. Surrender my heart. I need you, Jesus. Forgive me. Make me new. In your name, amen. Last thing, everybody look at me. Look at me. Nobody's head is down, eyes are up. With everyone looking around, you say, Caleb, I I need to do better with my pace. I need to let God determine the pace of my race. And I know my pace has been off and I need help right now. I want you to lift your hand. There's no shame, just be honest. Yeah, hands going up all around the room, keep them up. So Jesus, right now, I speak pace over your church. God, so many that came in here stressed, overworked, overburdened. God, anxiety filled today, lift the burdens. I speak life, I speak hope, I speak joy. May they they delight once again in what you've given them, in the work they have, the jobs they have. God, in the relationships they're in, the family that you've given them. God, may we be a people of delight, but Lord, I pray healthy pace over your people. Healthy pace over these marriages. Healthy pace over these single people. Healthy pace over the race you've called them to run. God, we want to run it to completion. We don't want to fall short. We don't want to quit. We don't want to burn out. So right now, I speak pace and grace over your church. We're surrendering. Not our pace, your pace. Not my will, your will. So God, right now, 
We speak it out. We receive it. We walk in the promise of the pace that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Stand to your feet, church. Let's sing this one last time before we go. Come on, lift your voices hey, in this so much place. for tuning in to the Project Church Podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.